Hey there, guys. Welcome to our uh, Sunday School podcast where we are going over the encounter study. Um, I'm Logan. We have Rebecca Zardi and we have Chris Fleming here. Chris Fleming is our author today and we are talking about a call to discipleship from Luke 5, 1 through 11. Before we get too deep into the lesson, I just want to bring to your attention, if you're following along with us in the encounter, there are some resources in the very back of your uh, book that you should take note of. As you can see, our pretty faces there. Uh, and then we have um, an advertisement for a people called Cumberland Presbyterian. And it happened one February. Those are new books about the history of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. So pick up your copies of those books now if you don't. And there's also another one on the page before that. Um, it's another CP history book called Good News on the Frontier by Thomas H. Campbell. Um, if you are a Cumberland Presbyterian and you know who Thomas H. Campbell is, then I don't need to tell you that you should have every single book with his name on it in your library. Um, also, get yourself some uh, CP merch, whosoever will. I think Becky's got a T-shirt or a hoodie or something. I do, yeah. Um, I'll, uh, Good stuff. Just to say, so the, uh, the resources that uh, the People Called Cumberland is probably what we would call our academic book about the history of our church. The uh, one right below it that it happened one night in February, that's a children's book. So it's a way to introduce your kids uh, to the history of the church. And then the uh, other one, Good News on the Frontier, that's a good book for uh, like a six-week, eight-week Bible study. I think it even has discussion questions in it that you can go through it and then share so if y'all are looking for something to do to celebrate our birthday coming up in february that would be a good thing to do any of that yeah that might be a good since it's in february and ash wednesdays around that time that might be a good linton study there you go there you go um also um becky has her front porch devotional uh becky's porch every monday and friday on youtube you can just uh -huh. go to her you can go to the link um in the in the description, in the email that uh, Chris sent out, and you, or you can go to YouTube and type her name and find those videos as well. Um, am I missing anything? Your Monday morning megaphone. Yes. Wherever podcasts can be found, look for the Monday morning megaphone. Uh, it, that, is, that is my baby, and I've had some guests on there, and I've talked about some things on there. You can check it out. Um, I'm thinking about rebranding it a little bit, uh, but season two of the Monday Morning Megaphone will be coming out in March, so look out for that. Um, and then, again, today's lesson is Luke 5, A Call to Discipleship. Let's start off with our prayer for illumination. Almighty God, we pray that our hearts would be open to you and to your word. Lead us by your spirit to receive the wisdom you intend for us today. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Our memory verse today is Luke 511. When they had bought when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Another small so, memory verse, but it's a big one. I mean, that's yes, what discipleship it, is. Exactly. Um, in the introduction, Chris, you start out with the question, what is the goal of Christian education? And then you kind of 
briefly talk about the different theories of education and how they tie in. Can you explain to, to us a little bit about where you were going with that? Yeah. So if you're, if you've been in education, if you've had college classes or what you might have talked about theories of education and there's all kinds of them. I mean, like the best ways to learn whether, you know, I don't know if lecture versus like hands-on or, you know, video versus homework or whatever. One of the, I guess, just because I didn't think the world needed any less controversy, I decided to come up with a common core thing uh, because I remember when that was introduced on Facebook and other things, you know, you had these videos of like a, a parent trying to teach a kid how to do a multiplication with common core. And you'd say like, why in the world is it this hard, you know, memorize? And, and I get that completely. Memorization certainly has its, uh, it, it uh, memorization is very, very important. I mean, it's a stepping stone in, in learning things, but the point of the common core in a lot of those subjects was not just that you memorize something, although that's good. It gets you to where you need to be. But it was the fundamental understanding of how you got there, right? So um, you, you got an answer like, you know, four times four is 16, but why? I mean, what does that look like? And, and, and understanding and training your brain to get to that was the important part. And so, and then I think about the church. A lot of times we have this focus on evangelism, getting people baptized or getting them in the church. But it's we forget discipleship. And so mm -hmm. uh, discipleship then becomes that part to where someone gets baptized. All right, now fill yourself with the knowledge of what it means to be a child of God named and claimed in Christ, right? And, and then mature in your baptism, become more and more like Christ. And that's really an important part. Like we shouldn't shortcut. And so um, that's where I was going with the, uh, with the introduction. And, and so um, I think I'll just say what I think the goal of Christian education is, is to become like Christ, to, to think Christian, mm -hmm. maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the last paragraph in the introduction, you even say um, a weakness sometimes found in churches is that we fall into the memorization trap as well. We ask students to memorize the Ten Commandments, John three sixteen, and the like, but we often fall short of discipling church members. Um, and... I think it's important to note that the early church for years, like the first three centuries, didn't have a complete Bible. Like they didn't have the scriptures available to them. As a matter of fact, most people were illiterate. So even if they had a physical copy of the scriptures, it wouldn't have mattered. So all they had was discipleship. All they had was uh, all they had for discipleship was to try and form their character after the character of Christ through the through the mm -hmm. leading of the mm -hmm. Holy Spirit. And I think we forget that. We get so focused on trying to memorize these things. And memorizing scripture is good. It's important. Absolutely. But if you but if you memorize the entire Bible word for word and never become like Christ, you've missed the point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's the important sign of Sunday school is trying to dig deeper. I mean, when you all know that when we're in a service, uh, usually 20 to 30 minutes is a sermon. And, and that is not enough time to really delve into the meaning of the scripture to figure out how that applies to your lives. I mean, yes, I hope when you attend a church service that you are getting some sort of education through the sermon and understanding the, the character of God and how that is applicable to our life. But it's those deep conversations that you get into in Sunday school, like what we do here each week, when we get into those deep conversations that really propel that education because it makes you think 
and then it makes you question and then it makes you want to dig deeper and this gives you a place that Christian education gives you a place and an opportunity to be able to dig deeper to ask those maybe sometimes thought-provoking questions that you you can't stand up in the middle of of worship and go hey you know I was thinking about this (laughs) Can we, can we veer off on that direction? We can't really do that in the middle of a worship service, but you can in the Sunday school. Maybe there's something that's really striking you. And that's why it's so important for you to plug in wherever you are uh, and however possible to continue that Christian education. It's a lifelong process. Lifelong process. And I would say this too. So Logan, you brought up something I I didn't even think about when I was writing this, but yeah, those first 300 years, uh, nobody had all the scriptures. It wasn't just the leading of the Holy Spirit, everything's through the power and leading of the Holy Spirit, but it was people living together, seeing how other people lived. So like I, I worked in the restaurants for 14 years before I became a pastor and very early on, I wasn't a Christian for the first you know, two or three years. And then, then I was, and I remember being, I remember I learned a lot. We had a, a front of house worker at, at the TGI Fridays I worked at and like I didn't go. I want to say this from the get go. I never went. But the Friday <laughs> and Saturday nights when we all closed, most of the staff went to like the strip club down there in St. Louis. Right. But she would not. She would never go. And I wouldn't either. But I remember the way she acted because sometimes they're like, ah, oh, just go. You know, you can't. And she's like, no, that's not that's not what I'm about. It's not my life. And I remember, uh, of course, I didn't go either. Again, I didn't go. But I remember the way she handled herself. And I thought this is what a Christian does in the face. She was never snotty. She was never degrading toward anybody else. She just simply said, that's just not my life. And that's not the way I'm, I'm that's not the way I'm built. I'm going to, I'm going to go do something else, but thanks for the invite. <laughs> you know? But I say that because discipleship, if you don't have scripture, if you didn't have seeing how Christians live, mimicking, or as Paul says, whatever you've seen, or heard in me, that's where they do. And and that really is discipleship. Um, And that's something that we, whether you're a pastor or not, the way you live, other people are going to know that. And, and sometimes a Christian just doesn't know what to do in certain situations, unless they have a example to follow. And so, um, well, you know, and and I think another thing is we just, we, I think another thing is too many times we as evangelicals are just too dismissive because we'll, we think, oh, well, that's just hard. So we, we just revert to the memorization because yeah. then we think we're actually accomplishing something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, I think so. so. Yeah, I'd say the goal of Christian education is to learn how to live in a way that glorifies God and to yeah. think christianly chris what you what you were saying reminded me of a, a phrase that's come up several times over the last couple of years and it's um you know your life may be the only bible that some people read or or a sermon someone hears right that's yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i think there's some truth to that as well i really do right good point um anything else in the introduction we want to hit um no it's that's it for me. Exploring the scripture, historical and contextual setting. What was your goal here? So first was to say that, you know, the the town which Jesus was in, you know, when he called these fisher people, fishers, uh, whatever you say in that sense. I mean, they, they were, you know, just a, it was a normal town. It was just a kind of any a town me and you grow up in, but yet there were you know, people there who contributed mightily to the work of God, 
so that's the first thing that I wanted to, to bring out. But then the second thing is, is that, um, that the, the prevailing thought or the way things were done in that culture, if you wanted to be a, a religious person or a religious scholar or a disciple was that you studied really hard and you, you prepared yourself. And then you went to a rabbi and you asked if you could be a student and that rabbi would either, either say, you know, sure, why not? But Jesus reverses that to where he's not part of the establishment, mm -hmm. but then he goes and he, he picks these, what are seemingly no name people with no real religious background and they're, they, they do the, com the most common job, which is a fisherman. And then he says, I want you, you come follow me. And so that was what I was trying to get there is that Jesus just reverses everything to where uh, like Paul would end up saying, you know, it's not the, it, what, he didn't choose you because you were, you know, so high and mighty. He chose you because you weren't. And, and then he did mm -hmm. a great work in you. So that's where I was headed there. Yeah, you even say in the lesson that, you know, only the brightest of the bright ended up as rabbis themselves. Right. And mm -hmm. Jesus goes to people who are not the brightest of the bright. And that should cause us to reflect on ourselves. Uh, you know, the John Piper did, did a pastor's conference a couple years ago and the, and the theme of the conference and all the talks eventually got published into a book. But the theme of the conference was brothers, we are not professionals. Yes. And so we need to, we need to remind ourselves that we are not the brightest of the bride. Jesus didn't come for the brightest of the bride. He came for sinners. He came right. for, right. he came for people who can't help themselves. You know, we have this, we have this notion in the evangelical church that, you know, God helps those who helps themselves. But if, if that were the case, no one would get help because no. no one can help themselves. And uh, w one of the questions you ask here in the below this section is really important, I think. Um, you ask, who discipled you? How did they teach you valuable lessons about life and faith? And I would add to that question and ask, who is currently discipling you? So who, who are some, Becky, Chris, who are some notable people? And I'll even answer this too. Who are some notable people in your lives that have really discipled you and formed you? Tell us, Becky. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, you know, I was really thinking about that question when I read through our lesson and that, my mom always kind of jokes that I brought our family to church when I was, when I was little. Um, so if you know, part of my story is, is I started off in the Catholic church and then when I was like five or six and we were, we were really good creasters when we were in the Catholic church, right? You know, we went on Christmas and Easter. We were awesome creasters. Um, and then I don't know, I started going to church with my aunt and uncle. So I guess maybe my first disciples were my aunt and uncle. And cause I started going to church Christ with them. And then I loved that church so much. And I, and I just talked about it all the time when I come home that my family ended up leaving the Catholic church and going to the church of Christ. Um, and I think of some of my, uh, formative years with different Sunday school teachers, you know, it was a really small country, rural church. So it wasn't just that we went to church together. We all lived in the same community. We went to school together. All of us kids did. Um, we were all in 4-H together, you know, so it was really that, that community development, um, when we were young, 
Um, but then when I left church, I guess the person that discipled me most was the person that brought me back to church. Um, and they really kind of took me under their wing and helped me see a lot of things in scripture that I'd never seen before, didn't understand, didn't know how to apply. Um, but as a pastor now, I, I probably have one or two really good friends that we have really in-depth conversations about the daily scripture reading that we're working through. And we'll send each other text messages and say, did you see this? Or do you understand what this is? You know, And then we get into this really deep conversation about what does that mean and how does that apply? And man, that family was really messed up. Right now we're working through Abraham's family. They were a hot mess. <laughs> they were a really hot mess. Um, you know, but then this too, this is an opportunity for discipleship. I learned so much from you all, um, and your theological minds, um, and things that I haven't seen before understood that it just, you know, I, I think that's an amazing place to be too. So I think it's, it's, again, it's that, it's that lifelong process of just going through Chris, who were some of yours? Well, before we get onto that, I do want to give you an opportunity to give a shout out to one of your mentors, um, (laughs) So, no, I, I say that because what was it about, uh, I'm assuming, I know who this is, but how did you go from yeah. not, from Church of Christ, not really going to church, then to pastor mm-hmm. or receiving a call? Okay. What, what were the things you had to work through? And Oh, gosh. What was the name of that person? <laughs> okay, well, um, it was really, gosh. It was just loving me right where I was at. Um, it was Reverend Tara Sesco. Hey, shout out Oklahoma. Um, she came in to eat at my at my dining room one day. I was running a running a restaurant. Imagine that, Chris, man, running a restaurant. Um, and I met Tara, and she just we just had this instant connection. But there was like. I don't know. I told her right up front. I'm like, I really like you, but I don't know how I feel about a woman being a pastor because that was not okay in the church of Christ. And I was really kind of struggling with that. And I said, and I'm never coming back to church again. Um, cause I had been hurt by the church and I didn't want to come back. Um, but it was loving me right where I was. It was respecting me that no matter what I thought, what my beliefs were at that moment. She really liked me and appreciated my honesty and my being upfront about it. But she's like, that's cool. We can still be friends. That doesn't matter. And so we started hanging out. She'd come in for lunch every once in a while. And after a couple months, I I said, hey, where's that church of yours? <laughs> you know? And, uh, and she said, well, it's just right down the road. And we were closing the restaurant early that day. It was a Wednesday and we usually close at two. I said, hey, get done by three. I said, do you would it be okay if I just drove out and looked at your church? And she took time out of her day. I think that's the one thing that really spoke to me at that moment was that she took time out of her day to let me come out when nobody else was there and walk into the church building. And it was almost like, I don't know, just kind of thinking back on it, just kind of this weird ethereal it was my reintroduction to the church house, you know, that I had run away from and been away from for so long that it was like, I was kind of looking around going, okay, where's the lightning bolt? You <laughs> probably said, happen, where's the baptism you know? place? Because it's not <laughs> <one here. laughs> 
<laughs> well, yeah, so exactly what I wanted to, I guess, and that's the thing when we talk about discipleship, I mean, that, that is Christian education, like, right. Yeah. And, and sometimes we think it's just that classroom on Sunday, but that, that's, that's an aid or like the preaching on Sunday. That's the proclamation of the word, but Christian discipleship, mm-hmm. it's living life and it's sharing yes. and opening yourself up to, to someone. I'll say for yeah. me, uh, the person who discipled me at the beginning uh, was my pastor back at uh, Hendersonville. So that was Easter Sunday morning. He preached Hebrews. Uh, you know, faith is the evidence of things not seen, the hope or that which is hoped for. Anyway, whatever, I had some moment. Uh, and and from that time on, I don't think I've missed a Sunday in church since, right? But it, it just had a profound effect on me. But it wasn't just that. So this guy, even when I became a Christian, he was 78 years old. And he was just doing this part-time, but he was so studied, man. Like he read three books a week. He hung out intentionally with his wow. grandkids just so he could, he could talk to people that were 18, 19 years old. And he just, he inspired me in every way, in the way he trained his mind, the way he trained his body. Like he was 78 years old. He walked six miles a day, right? Like he just, he just, he, his, his, at least to me, and I've never heard anybody speak anything bad to him. He exemplified to me what a, what someone who took God serious would be, right? And so, mm-hmm. and then, gosh, at 19, 18 years old, 18 and 19, I did like an internship under him. And I know how awful I was. Like, I have, I'm opinionated. <laughs> and obviously, I had been a Christian for like two years. And this old man didn't know what he was doing half the time, I thought. And then lo and behold, I mean, like just through the years, I think that man was just a study of grace, <laughs> like grace upon grace and love and competency. And, and so he is certainly the first one that I had. And then, of course, I've been to school 30 out of the 33 out of the 40 years I've been alive or whatever. So um, there's been a lot of professors. And then mm-hmm. now, um, since I am a snob and, and it's hard sometimes for me to just really admire people, but, um, I have met some people in the Cumberland Presbyterian church, other pastors, people that work at the center, uh, that I just say, these are Christian people. Like they do what I see the Bible says Christians should do. And sometimes the way they speak, um, in meetings or the way they deal with adversity, it, it it shows me something. And so that's, so anyway, Pastor Norman, if I didn't say it, Pastor Maury Norman, he died a year and a half ago. Um, mm. yeah, but, and he died when he was 98, 99. Wow. And he had, mm. he kept preaching up until the last two years. So he stopped preaching when he was like 96. Wow. So anyway. Um, mm. Amazing. So Logan. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because the, the people who disciple you and the people who influence you change over time. You know, you, you know, through, for whatever reason, you, you lose connection, you find other friends, you, you know, things. So I've had I've had a lot of different people in my life who have really helped me and influenced me. And uh, I'll start with my grandparents, uh which my grandparents are still somewhat of an influence on me. Uh, uh, I live right next door to my grandparents now. So uh, I see them every day. And my grandfather has been in ministry for over, over 40 years and he's still going at it. Just whenever he gets an opportunity, he'll, he'll get up at at the pulpit and rear back and shuck the corn, man. (laughs) And 
I think that's kind of where I get it from. And at least I hope that's where I get it from. And of course, my grandma, my grandma, no one loves Jesus more than my grandma. (laughs) And she really, she really taught me the, the importance of a relationship with Jesus. That was where it all started for me. And, um, and, uh, then as I got older and got in, realized I was called into ministry and started down this road, um, I wound up going from Pentecostal to, man, I jumped around when I was like 18. I started jumping around to different churches, trying to really figure out what it was I believed in why I, you know, I left the Pentecostal church. I went to the Methodist church. I was a Mormon for like five minutes and I, and then I realized okay that's too crazy for me can't do that and i wound up in this baptist church plant where this pastor really taught me what it was to see the bible as a story he taught me what it was to see the bible as god's redemptive story for mankind and um he was the first pastor i ever encountered who preached through books of the bible and uh, which was great because at that time I was starting to discover guys like John Piper and Mark Driscoll. And so uh, now I had my very own Arkansas redneck version of Mark Driscoll. And um, he was, he was preaching through books of the Bible and he was talking about how important it was to follow Jesus in our lives. And he really, he, he really helped me understand what it means to be a Christian. I think he taught me the value of character um, at a time in my life when I really needed it. Um, and then, you know, I, uh, have another pastor friend, uh, he, and, uh, his name is Mark Likens and he's Mark Likens is, is my pastor, right? Like he, every pastor needs a pastor. I don't care who you are. You need a pastor. Mark Likens is my pastor. And he, I can just drop in his office at any time and say, Mark, I'm thinking about this and I don't know what to do. And he, and he doesn't tell me what to do. He's just like, okay, well, let's see what God has to say about it. Mm-hmm. And we, we talk through things and we think through things together and he's really helpful. And, uh, and uh, then, you know, in the Cum- being in the Cumberland Presbyterian church, it's really weird because I, uh, there's, let's see, one, two, three Cumberland Presbyterian churches in, in my immediate area. Um, and I, I pastored one of them for a little while and then I'm pastoring another one. And, uh, and then the pastor at the third one, me and him get along and we talk, we talk whenever he's not busy, but you know, for the most part, it's just me and, and Mark Likens whenever I get a chance to, to talk to him. And through our conversations, we, he really helps shape and form me. And then there's one other guy I got to mention. Uh, this other guy I got to mention, he's a friend of mine who's probably a year older than me. Uh, his name is Chance. And um, he's not a preacher. He's not a pastor. He was pursuing ordination in the Methodist church for a little while. And then things got crazy in the denomination and he couldn't do it. And uh, although he's still a member at his local Methodist church, but me and him, we have some pretty intense conversations about God, and he really he really reins me in. Like whenever I'm getting really high and lofty with my with my theological nerd stuff, 
he he really reins me in and he's like okay well how's this going to help you live Mm-hmm. You said something right there that I want to make sure yeah. the point of this discipleship is that it's grounded, right? Our discipleship is grounded in what we would say the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? And that's mm-hmm. the key to the discipling relationship. And I have it in there somewhere. I don't know which section it is, but it's also discipling is with a mind on forming people to form other people. That yes. multiply thing, right? Sure, like, that's what we're about. So you said it well there. Yeah, yeah my uh, chance. He really chance introduced me to Dallas Willard, and that was helpful. Um, you know, I um, matter of fact, if you're if you want to know more about Dallas Willard, I highly recommend you pick up uh, the Great Omission by Dallas Willard. Pick up Hearing God by Willard, um, and then there's a group on Facebook. Um, there, there's a group on on Facebook you need to join. It's called Dallas Willard is my homeboy. Um, you need to join that group. As a matter of fact, Dallas Willard's daughter is in that group. And awesome. so, yeah, we we get in there and we just talk about discipleship. Really, we talk about what it means to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And uh, it, they they have some really healthy discussions in there. That's good. Um, mm-hmm. Anything else on on that? portion of the discussion question no I, I think that's got it and that's pretty much what we were trying to do in the that part of the lesson lesson anyway is um in the next section digging deeper comparing scripture with scripture you really do a good job i think of tying this in to where you left off on the uh exploring the scripture because it, the 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 bottom part of exploring the scripture you talk about how only the brightest of the bright ended up as rabbis themselves but mm-hmm. then you you turn that around in digging deeper and say you know on the surface jesus seems to call as his disciples the least qualified people and mm-hmm. uh, after reading that and after thinking about myself, I can tell you I'm, I'm the least of the least. Right. It's true. <laughs> it, it, Absolutely. Um, so one of the things there, like I remember in college, we had to write down a philosophy of ministry. I don't know if y'all have ever had to do that for a job or for like anything. Anyway, we were supposed to write out this philosophy of ministry. And I thought, um, let's like save the lost and all these things, right? It was in my head back then, all these noble goals. After right. I've for about six or seven years, when somebody asked me, what is your philosophy of ministry? I was like, well, I don't know my philosophy necessarily, but I do know in scripture a verse that uh, I, I will point to and, and say, this sounds cynical and I don't mean it to, but it's honest. It's, it's the Amos passage to where like, look, I wasn't a preacher. I didn't really want to be a preacher, but God called me. And because I'm a disciple, that's what disciples do. You go, you follow, right? right. And so that that that's been my philosophy of ministry at the local church didn't really want to do this but god told me to so i did <laughs> um and i say that because i i like logan and probably most preachers i just feel completely totally 100 inept or don't have the call yeah. i do i felt like that like every single day it felt like oh lord you're smarter than me but uh this, this is weird uh and so anyway i that's that's what I was going for. Like God, and then somewhere in here, either here or there, once you do in obedience, once you become a disciple and you go where God tells you to go and, and you become a preacher or something, you look backwards on your life and you're like, oh, even those experiences yeah. that had absolutely nothing to do with church work has prepared me to do the work that I didn't really think I needed to do. 
right? Like God was from the very beginning, forming, shaping, making, and, and then, and then sending you off if you're obedient. Right. So that's, yeah. You know, as you were talking there, I, I thought about my own calling and, you know, how I grew up. I grew up around preaching. There were preachers in my family. I knew that when I grew up, I wanted to be a preacher, but I, but the, lately I just, like my goal in life was to preach with, preach with the theology of John Piper and the delivery of T.D. Jakes. Like that was the goal. And I realize now that, you know, I'm, I'm not a preacher. I'm just a theology nerd with a pulpit. <laughs> and that's who God's called me to be. And so I've got to be happy doing that. Right. Right. I think that's, that's, that's a key point. Um, you know, and I think we may have touched on this last lesson a little bit uh, about the discipling. Um, but it's all about that willing heart. It's an understanding that that as unqualified as we are, which of course, I, there was just, I had no clue. Like, why would you even do this to me? Um, but it was an, uh, that willing heart that allowed me to, to face the call and, and answer the call that God had given. But recognizing that there was a purpose behind that, there was a reason that I was called to reach people that only I could reach. Yeah. And, and it was because of who I am, um, not because I'm some great theologian, not because I'm some great speaker, but just because I am who I am. And that's why God calls us. And that's why we're, we need to disciple people because there's somebody that this person that we're discipling can reach right. that we can't because they are who they are. Yeah. And I don't want to, I probably don't want to pass this up. Say one of the things that I wrote in here that, um, that I think is important to be a, to be a disciple. There's no tech, there's no, there's no test. There's no qualification entrance exam in that sense, but it is a willingness to submit to God and in yeah. the confession that you, you can't do what God's called you to do without the intervention of God or the Holy Spirit. And I think that's what, I think that's what this uh, scene with Peter was, where he's not catching any fish. This is his skill. This is his livelihood. He's supposed to be the man of this. He ain't catching nothing. And all of a sudden this rabbi who knows nothing about fishing, maybe is a carpenter, says, yeah, well, go over there. <laughs> and, then, and then the fisher person who does this for a living says, look, I've been out here all night, but whatever, Lord, I respect you. Let's try it. And then all of a sudden you have so many fish, you can't carry it all in. And I think right. that, and then, so the response then from Peter was to drop down and just say, away from me, like uh, you're, yeah. you're above and beyond even my greatest specialty. Right. And then Christ says, you think that's special. Wait till you catch people, right? Bring them to right, the box. Right. Um, but the humility and the confession of not being able to do something is really important place to start in discipleship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, you know, the reflection question there, you ask, what calling in your life have you not yet responded to? What are you waiting for? Mm-hmm. I, I'll let y'all go first. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. <laughs> oh. man, I don't know. Uh, it's really hard to say. Um, 
I won't say too much about what God's calling me to do, uh, but I will say that what I'm waiting for is 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 some open doors. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, from about when I was like 19 or 20, I kind of had a vision for where I thought God was leading me, and it's. And it's hard to say what part of that vision was just me thinking and daydreaming and what part was actually God putting stuff in my heart. Right. And I so that's, that's just, journey. yeah, that's, and so that's just, that's just really where I'm at is trying to figure out what God actually wants me to do. Mm-hmm. And so right now I'm just kind of in a place where, all right, Lord, uh, whatever you want, that's what I want. Yeah. At least that's what I, at least that's what I'm trying to want because many times, mm-hmm. Many times God wants us to do things and we're stubborn and we're hard hearted and we think we're mm-hmm. we think we're submissive and we think we want to go wherever God leads us, but then we're like Jonah and we're like, Yeah, I'll do anything for you but that. <laughs> the uh the the challenge for us is identifying what that is and getting yeah. over it. Yep. That's a that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. But isn't Thank it amazing you. to get to that point of just total submission to what God wants you to do? I mean, yeah. it, it has been a, and I don't know if I just have a, a hidden adventure side that I haven't recognized yet, <laughs> but it has been a wild and crazy ride, um, truly, when you get to that point of just total surrender and you really you really made, you know, there's a song that we sang that we love to sing, I surrender all. Um, but when you get to that point where you truly surrender all, whew, it is a, it is a crazy ride. Yeah. Uh, so here'd be my question. Cause I know where I'm at. Like when, when I know, I don't know how to answer it, but I know what the answer is and I'll explain it. Okay. So when you were talking about, I surrender all, so that gets progressive in the sense of, mm-hmm. I thought I surrendered all when I'm the, when I went to ministry because I forsook, 60 grand a year not that I'm counting or anything but anyway um (laughs) and you'd say you know that's surrendering all or whatnot all right fine but then you get to that and then you're like okay what about things like holiness or the things that you do is God calling you to do something more in your in your work does that mean you have to give up something else right and so it seems to be progressive and and I think for me um I don't know how to say this without sounding like a complete and total like sinner, but like, how far do you go in holiness? Like, really? Like, there's some things I like, and then does like being completely holy mean you give up everything, or you know what I mean? Like, do are, do yeah, you enter yeah. a monastery at some point? I know this sounds, <laughs> and it's but not true. I mean, it's not but that true, right, yeah. but I just know that 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 submission and that giving up all I've, I've learned it to be progressive that there, that at every point Christ challenges you, what you oh. thought you were like giving up. You're like, well, that was elementary stuff, but now he's calling me to give up whether it's thoughts and minds about people or habits or whatever it may be. It's just like, yeah. Lord. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so that's where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's hard because I think it's more important that we, I think it's more important that we do the whole Second Corinthians ten thing, and and cast down every vain thought or imagination and and submit our minds to the to the lordship of Christ. Um, 
I think that those things are more important than, you know, avoiding the dance hall on Friday night or not having a cigarette, you know, you know, I, I love, I love what uh, my grandpa said one time in a, in a sermon, my Pentecostal grandfather said this one time in a sermon, he said, smoking won't send you to hell. It'll just make you smell like you've already been there. So. <laughs> yeah. I think what you just brought up is important. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you said the you know, the Corinthians passage. I always think about the set your mind on things above, set your mind on heavenly things. And I there I can do that so much more, but that's where the discipling thing comes in. Yeah, like I need to see what that looks like because I think I'm already God's chosen gift. <laughs> but then I see people living like these holy lives, and I'm like, ah, I got some more to go. And what does it yeah. mean to just think on heavenly things? Because I think there's a fundamental difference in how you think about certain things as a Christian or how you think about certain things as a non-Christian. And so mm-hmm. how do you right. think about people? I mean, that that's a big one is how, how do you see people? Do you, and, and that and as Christ grows you, as you're discipled, as you learn how you see people around you in the world changes. Well, you know, I know we're not supposed to use people as a standard. We're supposed to use Jesus as the standard. But I look at my friend Chance, the guy I mentioned earlier, and um, I just look at him and think, man, I, I want to be like that. He's because he's so disciplined. He thinks he thinks things through thoroughly. He prays a lot. He fasts a lot. Uh, he's he's just crazy devoted to Jesus, man. And uh, he's not he like whenever you think about someone, it's unfortunate. But whenever you think about someone who's completely sold out to God, um you often, or at least I do, I often think about people who are so, who are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good, but chance isn't like that at all. He's, he's very reasonable. He's very thoughtful about everything he does. And, you know, he's, he's a voracious uh, reader when it comes to, well, when it comes to uh, GK Chesterton, Dallas Willard, uh, C.S. Lewis. Greatest writer since Paul, anyway. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's, you know, that, that's, that's kind of, if I have a, if I have to have a human standard, chance is my human standard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me say this too, like, cause there's a lot of things in the Protestant church we go overboard on and throw the baby out with baptismal water, so to speak. Um, so in scripture, Paul says, you know, whatever you see in me, that's worthy to replicate, do it. Right. And right. so we, we can think of people, I mean, like you're probably never going to, you're probably never going to pray to chase. You're never going to ask him probably to be your high priest and mediator. But I mean, like the call of being a Christian is to inspire good living and to show people what to do. Right. And, and like, no, we don't venerate saints, but there's a lot to like about St. Francis or, you know what I'm saying? And, and, you know, the world probably wouldn't be worse off if somebody uh, mimicked him. (laughs) Uh, at all right to be in good shape and so i do think part of the legacy or even in hebrews chapter 11 i mean like that's what he was doing he's look at these people of faith look what they did carry on this is your heritage actually too right so Mm -hmm. um i think there is a sense in which no we don't that our goal isn't to be our you know human model but boy it sure helps to see how to do it (laughs) oh yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely anyway yeah so um yeah that was yeah so that uh, we move on to learning from the scripture the witness of the church 
And you kind of lay out some things for us here about the Great Commission. Um, and I think this is like the second or third time you've just straight up copy pasted the Great Commission into a lesson. Am I right or wrong? Um, probably because I'm a big I'm a big proponent. <laughs> yeah, and the the Great Commission, uh, you just kind of help us uh, figure out how to view that. You kind of give us a brief outline: make disciples, teach disciples to obey God. Um, and then by the proclamation and, and the revelation of God's majesty, people are confronted with their sin and their unworthiness. They turn to Jesus. Uh, the church helps, disciple, helps disciples discover their callings. Uh, the church preaches the absolute importance of a follower of Jesus, giving up all things to partner with Christ in order to fulfill the commission. And so you just kind of lay it all on the line there. What, uh, what do you think we really need to gather from from the great commission here what where do you think maybe 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 i should put it this way where do you think we might have gone wrong in um, just in not in the in missing this you might have said it we're not professionals and and so i'll say it it's very and i i, I don't want to fire anybody up but and, and this isn't my intent a lot of the things so especially in the areas in which the carmelian Presbyterian church is i'll say it like that People are are angry about what's being taught in in like the public schools, right? Or they're they're mad about a philosophy of education because the, their kids don't need to learn these things, whatever. Well, like how many ever years ago we kind of made a we made a trade off as a people. Like the government will do the school stuff, and it's run by local districts, whatever. But but you know, like it's still your responsibility as a parent to teach your children whatever they need to be taught. And but we we've shepherded it off and say okay. And then in a lot of sense, I think the church has maybe um, taken over where it's, or not, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say exactly what I'm, let me, give me a second. I think what I'm trying to say is, is that maybe we just assume we send our kids off to Sunday school to learn something. And, and then maybe we're not taking that education as serious, or maybe we're taking it serious. We just don't know what to do. I don't know. Well, I know what I'm really gate. Okay. I know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that discipling took on that that same type of flavor as public education. You report, a teacher regurgitates, and then you get to yeah. you get to say what you memorized. But there's this complete and total lack of what we saw with Jesus with the disciples. You just follow people. Mm -hmm. You're with people, you're in people's lives. Or Becky, the way you said it was, you know, when when uh when Reverend Cisco, she just was in your life mm -hmm. and, and you learned from her and, and Logan, whether you wanted to, wanted to learn from him or not, you were in the life of your grandparents and they taught mm -hmm. you things by living. And mm -hmm. it wasn't like you woke up at seven 30, got your hair did, and then went to be your grand, you know, your grandparents. It was just y'all lived together. Yeah. And, right. and I think that's, that's what I'm trying to say. When I say we, we've taken this model of Christian education to look like, grades one through 12 and it, it just that's not how christian mm -hmm. education works i guess is well i mean think about it like this i'm sure i'm not i mean I, i'm assuming y'all were both public schooled right yeah I, I was also public schooled well think about some of your favorite teachers if you had any you know why were they your favorites that you had some kind of relationship with them yes. outside of them lecturing in the classroom and you mm -hmm. regurgitating that information Mm -hmm. well, yeah, and 
let me let me keep going on this. Like I remember some of my greatest times in the world were in college. And I don't think it had anything to do with my college schedule. But I woke up with these same people every day for four years. I went to breakfast, lunch, and dinner with them. I failed with them. I had fast with them. And we just shared everything together. And I think that was probably one of the best times of my life of learning. Could I tell you exactly what I learned? No. But I know I've learned something, right? Like right. Was the right. You know, and I think I think that's what we're missing in the church. We think discipleship is regurgitating information. We think it's memorizing right. verses. No, discipleship is you actually living in relationship with other people and and yes. you figuring out how to live in a relationship with God together. And we we totally forgot that, and it's totally not present. And and well, I'm not going to say it's totally not present, yeah, but I will say that it's 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 farther and fewer between in smaller churches where everyone has the last name, or their their family trees can be shared because you all live in that community together. But you know, you just see each other as family. Like, okay, well, I I see them every day, so it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. Right. That, that should right. like that's those are the kinds of places where discipleship should be all the more present. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, you know, it's it's not. And it's so right. sad to see. Yeah. I, I will say I will chime in and say one of the things that, that I have heard a lot of is that people feel inadequate. Yeah. That they even though they've been a, a lifelong learner themselves, um, they still feel inadequate to disciple others. And I think that's because we have relegated discipleship to that uh, rote, routine, hierarchical learning process. And we don't recognize that discipleship is living. It's that, it's that fellowship. It's that community. It's, it's how we learn from one another is, is by being in community together. Yeah. Um, And so you shouldn't feel inadequate. Yeah. The qualification for being a discipler if you will, is do you live life remotely thinking, how can I glorify God today? Because if, if you mm-hmm. even ask yourself that question, then you can pass that question on. And, right. and to some of that, I mean, that's the qualification. I mean, are you yeah. living for God? How do you best do that? Bam, there you go. Well, and you know, I, I think Sunday school is, a, is an integral part of teaching people that. And I think we yes. and I think we miss that because we we just think Sunday school is opening the book, reading the lesson, and you know, killing some time between ten and eleven a.m. Um, yeah. But you know, it it's not. It's it's actually it, it's actually the place where you ask questions yeah. and have discussions about things that matter about your relationship with Jesus yeah. yes. and with the church and, and other people. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that leads us, I think, into the applying the scriptures section. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, there's some church. One of the cool parts about my job is I get to know about what a lot of churches do. And, and, and the churches that I've seen that are what I would call the most successful um, disciples or most successful in Christian education have an element of mentorship in their Christian mm-hmm. education that's built in. And so like one of the churches that I, that I visited, they have like a, you know, uh, it's almost like a boys and girls club, you know, but it's a, it's within the church. I mean, there's church kids that are matched up with adults and of course it's done correctly and everybody does background checks and it's structured. So nothing crazy happens, but like you have, um, it comes from a book, uh, Kendra Keith Creasy Dean. I'll put it in here, but basically for, for kids who stay in the church from cradle to grave and they stay connected to the church in their twenties and thirties, 
it's shown that if there's six people within a church that contribute to the life of that kid growing up in the church, they'll stay in the church. But for the vast majority of our churches, a kid will grow up and they'll know the youth minister. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's right. it. Right. And that, but if you have a church where you have six, seven adults that care about the education of that kid all growing up, they're getting cards for birthdays, you know, people who they don't know, not that they don't know, but I mean, why would you go to some kid's fifth grade music recital? They're the worst things ever to go to. But Preach, brother. Right? But if five or six people from the church go, that kid knows they're part, of an, they're part of a group that loves them and is going to teach them something. And so, and then one of the coolest ones I had, one church had like double date program to where like an older, you know, a couple that's been married 25, 30 years will go on double dates with newlyweds, right? Once mm-hmm, a month, mm-hmm. they'll just go and have dinner together and they'll just fellowship, you know, and just be together. And if the conversations come up, you know, sometimes the older, the older uh, couple can say, you know, watch out for this, you know, year two, everything was great for the first two years, watch out for this guys. And, you know, I talked to one of the couples and then they said it was just fun because now these, this, this older couple who had just gotten used to coming home, watching Netflix and going to bed now, at least once a month, they're going out on the town. Right. And it's right. Thing. And so that's really good. And, and yeah, that's it. That's the element I think we're missing is that part. Yeah. 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 When I was, uh, when I was a teenager, I was going to, uh, when I was a teenager, I went to Cali Alpha, which, which was weird because I was the only teenager in, in Chi Alpha. Chi Alpha is a collegiate ministry for, uh, college age kids. You know, it's in the assemblies of God. And, uh, I, I was like 15, 16 years old going to Chi Alpha meetings, but it was crazy because, um, it was crazy because they, they were doing a, the Chi Alpha pastor was doing a series on relationships and he, the week that he was going to talk about marriage, he didn't actually do any teaching or preaching. What he did was he had four couples come up and they did like a roundtable discussion. He had an older married couple come up, a younger married couple come up, an engaged couple, and a couple that had just started dating. And what he did was he got these four couples together on the stage and he just asked them questions about you know, how they, how they pursue Jesus together, how they, how they disciple one another in their relationships and things like that. And it was really enlightening because you had older couples pouring into younger couples. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, yeah. really, that's really kind of what we need to see in the church. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, I think that's where, yeah. where I bumbled around when you talk about it. But that's what we're missing, I think, as a whole in the church yeah. is that type of... Yeah that type of Christian education. It's that, it's that interpersonal connection. It's beyond, it's beyond the pews. We're going to, we're going to coin a new phrase. Let's go beyond the pews and get that interpersonal connection. I won't talk again. We can end this, but I will say the reason why I always bring up the great commission is because the other thing that we miss out in Christian education is when we have that model of we're sending people to Sunday school, then then like Becky, you said, that allows other people to say, okay, well, I don't have to do it or I'm not part of the education. Yes. That's just not Christian. <laughs> like you're a, you're a teacher, you're a discipler one way or the other. You're just might be a bad one, <laughs> but you are a discipler. So, <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll, I'll have Chris link this video in the, in the resources, but uh, Dallas Willard had, gave a lecture series at Denver seminary years ago called uh, the human side of holiness. 
and uh, it's like a 17 part video series. But the, in the first video, he pulls out his Bible, he reads the great commission and he asks the students there at the seminary. He says, all right, I've just read you the great commission. You're all very familiar with this passage. What is it that we're not doing? And someone said, Oh, we're, well, we're not going. And he said, well, no, that's not right because you know the Greek word implies that we should we should do these things as we're going. It's not actually telling us to go. And then someone else said, "Well, we're not baptizing enough." And he said, "Well, you know, baptism is essential to the Christian faith, but you know, we're but I think we're doing pretty good on baptism." And someone else would bring up something else, and he would explain why that's not where he was going with that. Finally, no one got it. He said, "The one thing we're missing from the Great Commission." is teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Mm. We have failed to teach people to simply do what Jesus says. Yeah. And that's, you know, you want to know what discipleship is? Discipleship is teaching people to do what Jesus says. Living yeah. living out a life that that is emulating what Jesus says to do. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's important. I think, and I think that we miss that so many times, man. Um, the, the, you close out the applying the scripture part with this question. Uh, are you discipling anyone? What are some benefits you would receive if you were in a, in a discipling relationship? And I think that's something we all need to consider. We need to consider people around us. We need to consider those in our church, those in our family, who is it that we can have an influence on? If you, Mm -hmm. if you are watching this video and you have someone in your family, someone in your church, someone in your community who just looks up to you and thinks you are cooler than sliced bread. That's someone you can influence. Yeah. Now I, you know, I, I don't have that. I don't have anybody like that because uh, no one likes me, but, but, but you, you've got an opportunity before you to help, guide someone along the way and i think that's that's important yeah so and i'm not talking anymore but you're right (laughs) (laughs) is there anything else we need to hit um under applying the scripture or anything we anything else we need to hit on the lesson i don't have great lesson chris i think it was a good enough for sure and this is this is stuff we need to hear well i appreciate good job at discipling yeah. Well, thank you all for being here today. And then next week we're doing, what is the next week is for January 31st, right? And mm-hmm. yep. we're talking about the Sabbath thing next week. So go ahead and prepare for that. Yeah. And, well, mm. and so then uh, blessings to both of y'all, blessings to all y'all who are watching. And uh, until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen. Bye guys. <laughs>